Well, good morning. So glad that you're joining us today. Uh, today is a little bit of a different message. We're pausing from our series, Hope in a Broken World, on Romans 8, to talk about something today that is really, really important. It's an idea that is relevant for all of us, and it has implications for us as a church. As you're going to hear about, we're shaping our strategy around this idea. Now, if you're new with us today online or on site and you're visiting, I'm so glad that you're here. And in many ways, this is a great day to be here because what I hope is that you get a glimpse of our heart and what we're about as a church. And for those of you who call GFC home, I hope that you lean in. Not that you, you, know, you normally lean in, you listen well, but, but that you lean in today and engage with this because this has special significance for you and for us as a church. I want you to imagine that you meet someone who has never seen a Bible. They've never even heard of the Bible. Now, this is hard to imagine in the Bible Belt here in East Tennessee, but you meet somebody, and they, I don't know what a Bible is. They, they don't know anything. And so hearing that, you're, you're moved to give them a Bible. You give them a Bible, and you say, hey, I encourage you to read this. And they go home, and they devour it. They read it cover to cover. And then you get together with this person later, and you're at a coffee shop, sitting across the table from them, and you just say, hey, what's Christianity about? I mean, based on the Bible, because you really want to know, what are they taking from it? You say, based on what you read, what's Christianity about? Sum it up. And the person across from you says, in this thought experiment, says, well, really two things stand out. First, it's all about Jesus. And you say, amen. Amen. You say, absolutely, the whole Bible points us to Jesus. But then they say something that surprises you a little bit. They say, the other thing is that when I read the Bible, it's all about Jesus, but also it's all about love. And, and you're a little bit taken back by that, not totally surprised because you know that love's important, but you ask them to, to elaborate. What do you mean? How, how did you come to that conclusion? They say, well, God is love. First John tells us that. John 3, 16 says that for love, God sent Jesus into the world. Jesus said that the most important thing in life was love, loving God, loving neighbor. The apostle Paul, he writes that love is the most important thing, that you can speak in the tongues of men and angels, you can have faith to move mountains, you can give your life, your whole body to be burned, all that. If you don't have love, it's nothing. It's all about love. And as you listen to that person share with you, you become inspired as you remember the importance of love and you're driving home from the coffee shop and you're thinking, I want to give my life to this. But then a question pops into your mind. And the question is, why? Why is love so important? Now, you, you know that God is love, and love defines God. It's important to God. But why should it be important to you? you? You're trying to think about that question. And then you think, not only why is it important for me to be a loving person, but what does that look like? How do I become a person of love? What does that mean? If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You know, the apostle John who walked with Jesus for three years and was an instrumental leader in the early church, he addresses these questions in this letter written to Christians in the first century called 1 John. Now, the apostle John was captivated by the love of God. 
So captivated, in fact, he refers to himself in the Gospel of John as the beloved disciple. He, he saw himself as God's beloved child, which you think is kind of arrogant until you realize that's how he saw everybody, he, that, that God loved everybody in that kind of a way. And, and, and the love of God so captivated John that it's essentially all he wrote about. And this letter, 1 John, it's all about love. And, and we're going to lean into one part of that book, which really can be viewed by many. It's, it's the high point of the book. It's, it's really the, the peak. And for Christians, I, I believe this is one of the most significant, important passages in our whole New Testament. John, writing to Christians, he says this in verse 16. Now, this is how we know what love is. He's been referring to love throughout the letter. In fact, John will say the word love in its derivatives, loving, loved, beloved. He'll say things like that 51 times in this letter, and it's not that long. But it's almost like he's writing this, and he stops halfway through. And he thinks for a moment, and then he decides, I want to make absolutely certain that my audience, the people I'm writing to, that they understand what I mean when I say love. And what's interesting is he does not define love with a statement, but a story. With an event. Look at the text. It says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now, I don't know this, but I wonder if John went back in his mind to the upper room where he was with Jesus the night before Jesus was crucified. And they were sharing Passover together. And at the end of the meal, Jesus, he said to these guys, he said, a new command I give you, which as good Jewish boys, they knew you didn't do that. You didn't add commands. But Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And that night, John and some of the disciples, they might have been confused by that. Like, Jesus, what do you mean? Love one another as I have loved you. But the very next day, Jesus answered that question in a way that took their breath away when he put his love on display by willingly being crucified on a Roman cross by the very people he was dying to forgive. From that moment forward, I wonder if John was just so gripped by this idea and said, that is love. And so he points us, again, the readers, back to that, and he says, this is love. And, and, and what that means for us, listen, we don't get to define what love is. It's been defined for us. John says, this is love that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now, look at the implications of this, because for John, this isn't just about what Jesus did. He says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother's and sisters. And, and that word ought is a mathematical word. It's used to refer to a debt. It's an obligation. And the way John sees it, we have an obligation. As believers in Jesus, we have an obligation to lay down our lives. Now, what does that mean? To lay down our lives like Jesus did? I mean, we don't die on the cross for people's sins, do we? We don't die for people, do we? And I think John would say, well, yes and no. You say, no, you don't die for people's sins, but you do die. 
Because look at the verse. He says, we lay down our lives. And then he goes on to give an example. Verse 17, he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, scholars debate what the phrase love of God means here. Some interpret this to mean love for God. In other words, if you see a need that somebody has and you have no pity, that word is compassion, you have no compassion for them, how can a love of God be in you? A love for God. How can you love God and not have compassion? Others interpret it to, to be a love that comes from God. So how can you have received the love that comes from God through Christ and not have compassion on someone in need? But either way, the point that he is making, and this is so important for us, the point for the Jesus follower, according to John, is that love of God and love for people are inseparable. There is no such thing as a love of God that is not connected and expressed in love for people. It does not exist. In 1914, a German theologian and writer who was also a Jew named Martin Buber had just come out of an ecstatic experience with God. He was on a spiritual high. And a man came to visit Martin Buber, a young man. He had lots of questions, essential questions about his life. And because of this experience that Martin Buber had, and he was just so preoccupied with what had just happened, he wasn't really present with this young man. He was friendly, but he wasn't really present to him. Martin Buber found out not long after this that the young man took his own life. And it shook Martin Buber to the core because he realized that something in his spirituality was deeply wrong. Something was off because here he was having this connection with God and it didn't translate to love for that young man. He did not love that young man well and it changed Martin Buber's life. And a few years after that, he wrote a book called I Vow. And that book, if you've heard of it, if you've read it, it's all about being present to and loving other people. Now, I like that story because I relate to it. It resonates with me. I can struggle to be present with people. I can offer people a distracted presence at times. But I also like that story because it illustrates what this text is telling us today. That true spirituality gets manifested in love for other people. That's what, Paul, that's what John is saying. You know, the whole New Testament, listen, the Apostle Paul, he says to Timothy, this young pastor, 1 Timothy 1, he says, the goal of our instruction, Timothy, is love. It's love. You know, if you're ever wondering if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, what should I be the goal when I come to church and I listen to the word of God taught when I read the Bible? Paul says, love, that's the goal. And he says it even stronger in Galatians 5, 6, when Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Think about that for a moment. What a statement. The only thing? 
Paul says, yeah, and in the context, it's spiritual growth, the life of a Christian. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So to sum up what John is saying and what the New Testament teaches us, it's, it's this. It's that love is what gives our faith feet. See, you and I, we may have a faith in God. What the Bible says is if that faith is divorced from the way you interact and, with lo- and the way you love other people, something is wrong. Because true spirituality is manifested in love for other people. Love is the mechanism where faith gets expressed. Now, that's why it's important. That's why all of us, when we think about love, we ought to say, you know what, I'm gonna make growing in love the goal of my life. <laughs> I want to grow in becoming a loving person. But, but the question, again, for all of us is, well, what does that look like? What does it mean to be a person of love? Well, John, he sums up his point here in this text in the very next verse when he says this, dear children, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this phrase, in truth, it means to love truly. To love someone in truth is to love truly. So in the context here, it's synonymous with loving in action. John says, let us not love with words, but with actions. And what he's doing is he's pointing out the gap that exists for many of us between our words and our actions. There's a gap. I was on an international flight recently, nine-hour flight, and I, I got on the plane, I settled in, and I started thinking through my sleeping strategy. You know, you do this, you think, okay, how can I get back on the eastern time zone? And so we take off, and I thought, okay, here's, here's my strategy. I'm going to wait until the free meal comes. I'm going to eat that, and then I'm going to conk out. I've got some sleeping medicine that's going to be great. Now, I had an aisle seat, which is usually a really good thing. But on this particular flight, a couple sat next to me. I think they just come off of their honeymoon because they were, like, gushing about each other, and, you know, which is fine. <laughs> and they're, they're there, and this, the, the attendant comes by, flight attendant, with the meal and says, would you like anything to drink? And the wife in this couple, she says, yes, I would like a drink, and I would also like a glass of water, please. So the attendant brings her two full cups, and she drinks them. And, you know, time goes on. I'm about to, to go to sleep. I mean, this is, I've eaten the meal. And right as I'm about to, the, the attendant comes by again <clears throat> and says, do you need anything? And she says, yes, I would like another drink and another full cup of water, please. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she is going to interrupt me during my, you know, she's going to have to go to the bathroom like six times. I'm trying to go to sleep on this flight. And then she leans over in that moment and she says to me something like, I'm not the easiest person to sit next to on an airplane. Ha ha. <laughs> and, and what I said was, it's okay. But what I was thinking was, it's not okay. <laughs> are you kidding me? Four cups run an airport? What are you doing? I'm not, I'm, my sleep is going to get so interrupted. And though, though, listen, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a gap for many of us between our words and our actions. I mean, all of you today, you're so nice. You lie a lot, but you're so nice. 
You know, here in the South, we do this. And so what, what John is saying is this can be true when it comes to love. That there can be this gap between your words, I love you, and your actions. But again, according to John, to love truly is to love with our actions. According to John, this is so powerful. Love, if it's genuine, will get expressed in how we live. Let me say it this way. Action is what makes our love real. Again, you can say, I love you. This text, action, is what makes our love real. And this Again, this is what Jesus taught. This is the teaching of the New Testament. I'm always struck by the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, his most popular sermon ever. You know how he ends it? This is what he says when he gets to the end of his sermon. Jesus, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. According to Jesus, you didn't get credit for just showing up to hear him preach. And you didn't even get credit if you learned what he said. You took notes, you got it all. Now, according to Jesus, you can do those things and you can be a fool. What Jesus was about was people doing something with what he taught and not to earn his favor, but as a response to who Jesus is and to a response to truth and as an expression of what you believe. Because here's the reality. What you believe will get expressed in the way you live. I like what Rick Warren says. He says, don't kid yourself. You only believe the parts of the Bible you actually follow. I have a leadership coach and mentor. He said to me a few years ago, and it stuck with me. We were talking about a, an organizational issue related to people. Somebody was saying one thing, doing another, and he said this to me, and I think it's so profound. It applies here. He said, listen, when there's dissonance between what you're seeing and what you're hearing, he said, just turn down the audio and watch the video. That's how you know what someone really believes. It's like, it's like John is saying to us and Jesus and the New Testament, if you want to know whether someone loves others, turn down the audio and watch the video because they will show you. Now, practically, as we're thinking about this, what does that look like? Again, to, to take love in action and to do it. Well, well, look at this text. One thing we see is that loving others this way, it begins with seeing, with seeing. John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? According to John, there's only two conditions for loving people in this way. One is that you have material possessions, which means the basic stuff of life. This is not riches. And the second condition is that you see, that you see them. And that word seeing is not a casual looking. That is a deliberate contemplating of what I'm looking at. You see, we can see people and not see them at the same time. 
And I am way too guilty of this. I can see somebody in need, but I don't really see them, their personhood, their dignity, their value, their pain. And for, for all of us, we read this text, I mean, one of the things we've got to realize, if we are saying, I just don't see that many people who are in need, I think this text would say, well, that's because you're not looking for them. I mean, you can see what you want to see. Followers of Jesus who are guided by love, we see people. And think of Jesus, that's what Jesus, he saw people for who they were. The second observation out of this is this kind of love is individual in nature. It's individual. It's significant that John uses the pronoun, the singular pronoun, brother or sister. Singular. I love what John Stott says. He says, it's easier to be enthusiastic about loving humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. You see, it's, it's relatively easy to love a city, to love a, a group, to love an area, to love a cause. It is way harder, and the true test is loving people. Individuals. That is way harder. You want to know something disturbing about the ministry of Jesus? I want you to think about this. Jesus did not permanently solve any of society's problems during his ministry on earth. He did not permanently solve any of society's problems, but he loved individuals. And it changed the trajectory of their lives. People were transformed. And those people who were transformed, they lived in such a way that brought about social change. I'm not saying it's not important. But Jesus loved people. Henry now, and he says it well for us, he says, we cannot love issues, but we can love people. And the love of people reveals to us the way to deal with issues. So we deal with societal issues, but again, it starts with the person. We love people. The third observation out of this text is loving this way, the kind of love that Jesus showed that we're invited to show others, it always involves sacrifice. There's a cost. The two examples John uses, Jesus who paid the ultimate cost on our behalf and then having compassion on someone in need, which that has a cost too. It's much less but, but there's still a cost of time, of attention, of money, of energy. And so to, to, to love people this way, there's, there's always a price tag. I, I'm a uh, big fan of cereal. I love to eat cereal. Grew up eating it at night a lot of times. Not the healthiest habit, I know. And even now, I'll, I'll eat cereal at night. And I, I remember, it still happens, but not as much. But a few years ago, when our kids were younger, n it, it never failed when I, at nighttime, when I would sit down finally, and you know how it is, young parents, I mean, you're just exhausted. You sit down, and I would pour my cereal, and it never failed that right when I would pour the milk in my cereal, I would hear, Dad, I need you. And for the cereal eater, and the, it, there's a dilemma, right? Because if I go to them to help them, my cereal's gonna get soggy. And we all know nobody wants soggy cereal. I'm gonna end up throwing it away, right? And they're probably fine. I mean, they, 
you know, they don't really need me. They're probably fine. But love, again, requires action and sacrifice to get up and to go. See, it's, it's one thing to say, I love you. Hey, kids, I love you. It's another thing to elevate their needs, and not even their needs, their desires above my own. So this is what I want to say. Listen, and you can laugh, but it's an apt picture of what John is saying here. This love, love in action, is the kind of love that lets your cereal get soggy. And for you, maybe it's not cereal, you know. Probably isn't. For you, it might be wasting time because you hate to waste time. And if you really love people well, if you engage with them, it's gonna be inefficient and it's gonna drive you crazy. Some of you, it is money. You, you can't imagine the thought of sharing your resources with other people. Some of you, it's energy. You think, man, if I love people this way, gosh, that's gonna be exhausting. And it will be. But love in action requires sacrifice. There's always a cost. And why should we pay it? I mean, let's just be real. Why should you care? Why should you lay your life down one choice at a time? Because that's what this is. I mean, isn't it fascinating that, that he says, we lay down our lives like Jesus did, but then he gives an example of one choice, sharing your possessions with somebody in need. And the truth is, for the follower of Jesus, we lay down our lives one choice at a time. It would be easier in some ways if it was an all or nothing proposition. So why should you engage in that kind of a life, that life of sacrifice? Because of verse 16. Verse 16, again, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Never forget. Listen, this is the motivation. This is why Christians ought to be the best lovers of people on the planet. Because we have the deepest well. We have the most bottomless resource that we can pull from which is God's love for you in Christ. And to the degree that we receive that and we are changed and shaped by that, we will be able to love others in a sacrificial way, but not apart from it. Love in action involves sacrifice. So here's what this text is saying to us today. Love is what gives our faith feet. And action is what makes our love real. Now, now this is relatively easy to understand. It's much harder to apply. So how are we going to apply this today? And this is where I want to invite you to be a part of something big that's happening in the life of our church in this season. You know, for as long as I've been a part of GFC and long before I got here, this church has been known for for its heart for the community. I mean, things like Echo and Giving Depot and Joy Prom and the over 10-year-plus partnership with Mountain View School, those are, those are examples of ways that this church, community that you have tried to love the people around us in our local community. Now, the last couple of years, a lot of those strategies have gotten disrupted we haven't been able to be in the school system, for example, but we've done other things like Call, Pray, Help and the Candy Carnival and Help for Heroes. But the question is, what are we doing moving forward? 
to demonstrate love to our community. And today, we're launching a new GFC initiative called Love in Action. And and what Love in Action is about, the heart of it, is exactly what we're talking about today. That we want to be a people whose lives, individually and collectively, express the love of God in action and in truth, not just in our words. And so what this will look like collectively for all of us is each month, over the next three months, we're going to have a specific focus, a a way, an opportunity for us to put our love into action. In October, the, the opportunity is for us to donate needed supplies for Mountain View School for Agape Women's Shelter and Good Samaritan. And I'll show you in a minute what the specific needs are. But we're, we're not giving money, but we're donating needed supplies to those partners. In November, the, the focus there is going to be partnering with some of our local partners to make a difference in the lives of specific people in our community. And then in December, Lord willing, we are going to help fund the construction of a new Compassion Child Center in Ethiopia, which we are really excited about. Now, what's common with all of these, what they have in common is they are outside the walls of the church. The the whole point of this is how can we express love to those who are not here today? We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those outside the church. But the other thing that ties these opportunities together is that in all of them, we want to meet specific needs. Again, think of the text today. We want to meet specific needs to make a tangible difference in the lives of other people, in our community and around the world. And each of these is, is really important. And, and I know it's a lot. I mean, this is a lot to take in. And so we're going to talk about this as we go. But, but today, if you hear this and you want to find out more about this, you can find out more at gfcnow.com slash action. It's a great way just to get your arms around, okay, what is this? What are we doing as a church community? The other thing you can do is go by the lobby display today if you're on site whenever you leave the service. But today, again, just as we head into next week, what you need to know is that this month we are collecting specific items to give to these places. So for Mountain View, we we know that the school year started, but there's still a lot of supplies they need. And so we want to provide these items For Agape, they are always in need of diapers and wipes for moms, for babies. I talked to someone after first service who works for Agape who said that's absolutely true. We do not have diapers in certain sizes right now. And then we also want to help Good Samaritan with specific food items that they've said we need. And the hope, again, the reason why we want to do all this is so that we can meet these needs and make a difference because God loves us and we want to respond by loving those around us. So beginning next Sunday, you can bring these items with you to church. You can take them to the lobby display or you can come by during the week, during business hours, and you can drop those items off. We would love for you to do that. And I want to say, I'm talking about this as a strategy for GFC, but I want to say this. The way that we love our community is way bigger and broader than any church strategy, program, or initiative. All of us today have opportunities to put our love into action with family, with our neighborhoods, with our marketplace that we work in. So this is bigger 
than a church initiative, but it includes it. Why? Because we, collectively, we are the body of Christ. The whole New Testament was not written to individual believers, but to churches. And as a church, listen, as a local expression of the body of Christ, the vision that God has put on our hearts is helping broken and vulnerable people find life in Christ. And I remind you of this. This is so important for all of us as leaders, the elders here. We think about this because we believe God has put this on our hearts and said this is what we want you to step into this season, independence on the Holy Spirit. And we, we jumped into this three years ago. You know, the, the good news is nothing disruptive has happened in the past three years. It's been just smooth sailing. <laughs> In the last three years, you know, I know we get tired of hearing lists like this, but we have dealt with a pandemic, political division, racial tension, economic strain and uncertainty, global conflict, increasing levels of depression and anxiety, a war. I mean, a lot has happened. And a lot has happened at GFC. I, I actually had to recently update my picture on the website um, after the past few years. This is, this is what I look like now on the church website. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you can tell I'm wearing makeup, you know, right now. A lot of us feel like this after the past few years that we've, we've aged, we've taken on stress. But listen, everything that has happened, everything that has happened to our church, to our, our region, in the world, all of it makes the vision that God has given us that much more important. And I truly believe this. Because what people need most right now in our community, what you need, what I need, what we need most is life in Christ. That's what we need. Lately, I've been reading in 1 Timothy. If I can just share something that's on my heart. I'm, I've been reading 1 Timothy. It's a, a letter written to a young pastor. As I'm trying to grow in my leadership, I'm just reading slowly through. And I was so struck by something the Apostle Paul says at the end of 2 Timothy. Reading First and Second Timothy. And this is what Paul says in Second Timothy 4. He says, For this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And I'll tell you why I was struck by this. Because I believe that one of the most dangerous things for the church right now, for our church, for, for the church, is distraction. There are so many things that can pull us away from the mission and the vision that God has given us. And so here's Paul writing to this pastor, and it's almost like he's summing up and saying, for this we labor and strive. This is what we're after. This is the goal. Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all who believe. Paul, does, he does not say, for this we labor and strive to create social change to win the culture wars, to make sure we have a certain political party in office, whatever. He, he says, for this we labor and strive to share and to show to a broken world that Jesus is the Savior of all who believe. And that's the vision God's given us. And listen, what's at stake? Why does this matter? Because there are broken and vulnerable people who have life in Christ. See, what's at stake are the people 
And that's why as a church, we've got to lean in and embrace this season because God has something for us to do in dependence on the Holy Spirit because he loves the people in our community. And the only way that we're gonna have the kind of impact we wanna have, the only way is if we love people because love is what gives our faith feet and action is what makes our love real. Now in the first century, when John wrote this letter, something was happening that changed the world. This early group of Christians who got this letter and they, they tried to, their best in dependence on God to live in response to it. This was a group of Christians, just think about this for a moment. They were a tiny, tiny segment of the population in a vast and ruthless Roman empire. They had no resources, really. They had no fame, they had no power, no notoriety. But what they did, what God did through them, changed the world. And a big part of the reason why is love. That is what these first Christians were known for. We have documents from the second and third century, even pagan emperors who are talking about, gosh, these Christians, they love people. Tertullian, first century, he says, how they love one another. Christians were the ones who stayed during epidemics and cared for the sick at the the risk of contracting diseases and dying themselves. It was Christians who cared for the poor and for orphans and for the elderly. It was Christians that were responsible for the first hospitals. That was unheard of. And what, what motivated all of it was love. It was love. And I found myself thinking this week, what if we had that kind of love? What if we lived that kind of way? What, can, can, can you imagine? What if people in Johnson City said, man, I don't believe what those Christians believe over there at that church, but I'm so glad that they're here because they love this community. They love our people. Can you imagine? What if this church, what if we were the best lovers of people in Johnson City? What difference would it make? How would our, our community be different? Our neighborhoods our marketplace. Listen, let's give ourselves to that vision because there are broken and vulnerable people who need life in Christ and it's all about love. And again, the, the reason why we do all this, and this is so important, is because God loved us and Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. And so now in response to that, in independence on God, let us lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters and for our community. Will you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you for the awesome privilege of being a part of what you're doing in the lives of people. And the invitation you've given us, Lord, as a church to step into showing love in action in these different ways. And and God, I do just pray on the front end of this strategy, this, this initiative, Lord, we just commit it to you, and we pray that it would be more than just checking a box, us bringing items, that it really would be a, a, a response in our hearts to you, God, and a desire to love those around us. Lord, help us to know how to put love into action in our own personal, individual lives. 
with the people around us, a love that sees others, a love for individuals, a love that's costly. God, give us the wisdom to know. And would you help us, Lord? We need you. And so, God, we just lay all this at your feet, and we pray that we would become more and more men and women who demonstrate your love. God, that is what we desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.